Hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you're listening to the Long Game Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Kevin Indig. Kevin leads SEO as director at Shopify and is the creator of the Growth Memo newsletter and TechBound podcast. Before Shopify, he ran SEO and content at G2 and Atlassian and has helped companies like eBay, Eventbrite, Samsung, Pinterest, and many others grow their organic traffic. This episode is a little bit shorter than usual because it was part of our Office Hours series. Now, Office Hours is a bi-monthly virtual event where we get the best speakers in content, SEO, and marketing to come give 20-minute practical talks for our audience. Come to the next one. You will learn a ton. This one uh, in particular was a fireside chat, and we covered leadership lessons that Kevin has learned through the years, why the skyscraper technique works but isn't the best moat for a content program, how to approach content and SEO today, and how Kevin treats his team and himself with the same growth model and principles that he uses to approach company growth. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Kevin Indig. So Kevin, what's up? Love it. Hey, Alex. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Um, so I've got a couple questions I sourced from the team. Also, anybody in the chat, just drop questions for Kevin as well. Um, like I said, he runs SEO uh, at Shopify. And before that, he was uh, the VP of SEO and content at G2, um, has worked tons of companies, advised tons of companies, and you're just a huge thought leader in the SEO space. So please drop questions here. But um, speaking of that, so when, when I think of SEO thought leaders, uh, so we'll start with a personal one. Um, you're near the top of the list uh, when I think of like who who's who in SEO. So have you focused uh, or how have you focused on building that personal brand and influence in the SEO space if, if it's been a conscious thing? You know, it's funny because I feel like the people stumble into SEO very often, right? They study some like history or they're engineers and then they, they somehow stumble into SEO. Um, I stumbled into SEO through computer games and it kind of building that personal brand was the same, was the same thing. There wasn't a moment where I was like, you know what, I need to build a personal brand. And then, you know, this is what I have to do with it. I, I would lie if I would say that there was an, a perfect plan. There was much more desire in early 2018 when I was working at Atlassian and was really fortunate to be part of a fantastic company and, and, and be able to do some really cool stuff. And um, I'm a voracious note taker, and I, I do just write a lot for for my own sake to just clarify my thought. And so I got to this point where I had tons of material, and I was like, you know what? Like I should just put this out because people were asking me like this about this and that, and I had all this material. I was sending it to them, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this on a blog. So whenever people ask me about something, they're just going to point them at my blog. And I put that up, and that went pretty successful. Got invited to a couple of conferences, and then. Uh, really wanted to improve my speaking skills, still want to improve my speaking skills. And uh, it all kind of came together. And then at the end of 2018, that that was a point where I was like, hmm, there's some, there's some traction here. There's a desire. Uh, so what would make the most sense uh, for me to take as a next step? And the blog was already going in a good direction, but I became much more intentional about that. I started an email newsletter um, and then it kind of all came together over time. And nowadays I'm, you know, I'm very intentional about my personal brand, even though I don't, it's not, it's not my biggest priority of the day. I don't wake up. I'm like, okay, how can I, you know, what can I, it's, it's, it's a much more organic process. So you see that in the topics that I write about in the tweets that I put out and the videos that I make, it's a lot of 
stuff that I encounter day to day, problems that I'm currently facing that I'm thinking through. And then I kind of um, repurpose that material that I've created for myself in the first place into other stuff. Um, yeah, two questions. Do you apply SEO methodologies to your own personal brand and your website? No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> and I find it a little bit kind of freeing. You know, it's almost like when you're a, a Michelin star chef, you don't come home and you cook a Michelin star like five course menu for yourself. You really just want to like eat something that fits the moment. And, and, and it's very similar with my own stuff. So you'll see that most of my content is actually not very, very keyword targeted. It's much more thought leadershipy or in the moment. And I kind of enjoy that, right? Because at work it's, it has, or it's, it's so much more rigid. And so for myself, I really just want to like put out what feels right in the moment. It's hilarious. You're saying that literally just before office hours, I was talking to the two co-founders and we're like, yeah, I feel like the SEO driven stuff, well, business effective, really has put a damper on creativity when it comes to my personal writing. You know, like there's kind of a dichotomy, like a, a push and pull between those two things. What I'm going to say is that the the non-SEO stuff and like such a such a fine line, uh, it definitely works better in terms of backlinks. Mm-hmm. I have this kind of theory that when something looks too optimized, that people are just more hesitant to link to it. Whereas if something looks more like, you know, uh, unoptimized and can argue about what that actually means, uh, people are just more open to link to it. So I'm trying to, what I do do with my personal stuff is that I, I hack around a lot and I just try out some things. Uh, it could be things like uh, CMSs or tools, but it can also just be like, hey, what happens if I do this to a title or do that to a featured snippet? It's it's a much lower risk, whereas you know the sites that I work at, it, it can just there's a higher bar. You have to like set up an experiment. You have to like really think it through. Some uh, success criteria. And for my own stuff, I just make the change. I have a scrappy, I don't know, doc or spreadsheet, maybe, you know, maybe it's a post-it somewhere and I just see what happens. So I kind of also use my personal projects to just hack around and just try out stuff. I used to do that when I was at HubSpot too. Like when I went on to try out like a new analytics implementation or a quick experiment, I would test it on my own site as opposed to trying to, you know, break the website of a public company. So I feel like that's actually a really underrated benefit of having your own personal website or side project because you, you get kind of a sandbox to play in and learn new things. And then you could bring those to the company you work at. Um, so, yeah. And I would argue every, every SEO should have that sandbox. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Uh, when I started in SEO, I, I started with a traineeship at an agency. And the first thing that I had us do in the very first week was set up some side project. Could be a blog, could be a shop, could be something to just learn from. And that helped me tremendously over the time, uh, over the years. It's it's something that I would uh, re, um, uh, suggest everybody do. You mentioned uh, kind of offhand that you you got into SEO via computer games. Can you explain more um, how that worked? Yeah, I was you know, and I was a. Um, I mean, I grew up in the Game Boy area. Um, uh, Sega Mega Drive, Super Nintendo, that kind of stuff. And when I was a teenager, I hit this sweet spot where, so I was I was born and raised in Germany uh, for context. And when I was a teenager, I hit a sweet spot where broadband internet became available in Germany. Um, and that was that was huge for I mean everything that we do today, but also for gaming. And uh, I was part of a gaming clan or group uh, with my friends, and we wanted to play online. We wanted to play tournaments. You need to have a website to um, register at a tournament. And so I, I became the guy to just figure out how to build a scrapped website. And that set everything off. You know, I taught myself very basic HTML, a bit of CSS, 
some Photoshop, and then I got soaked into this hole. Um, and at some point, I I I discovered this thing that's uh, web analytics, and I saw oh, there's this referrer called Google. Like, what's that about? And so I really stumbled into this world that is SEO. And back in the that, that was over ten years ago, uh, way over ten years ago. Um, and um, it, it it was very SEO was very hacky, dark magic back then. It did not have a good reputation at all. And so, if I look back over my career, I just got very lucky that this even became a thing and blew up. You know, back at the time, it was not a very popular decision. You know, my my parents were not sure what I was doing there, uh, and uh, it turned out to be good. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me. I feel like I've talked to so many people who learned HTML and basic web de- development via MySpace back in the early <laughs> days when you could customize your background and add songs and stuff like that. So it's it's so funny how sometimes the roots of our careers are so innocuous and and seemingly like trivial, right? But then they blossom into this uh, this crazy industry. Yeah, it's th- that's what I'm saying. Like most people stumble into SEO. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different these days, um, but certainly, you know, back in the days, that was more the case. And for some weird reason, a lot of SEOs were DJs at some point. Mm. So there's some interesting patterns uh, across the board. Uh, I haven't figured that out all the way yet. I, I've 100% noticed the DJ thing with SEOs and uh, uh, also just audio kind of technology in general. Something I've noticed with CRO and growth is there's a lot of musicians or like for, people who are formerly in bands. And I wonder if there's some like... Uh, synergistic thing between like left brain and, and right brain going on there. I actually talked to Dan Fur about to that on the podcast and he was saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it has to talk to you. It's, it's, <laughs> it, I, I did the same thing. I was, I was club DJ for many years and produced music and all that kind of stuff. It's, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's just technical attitude or maybe it's this like idea of hacking and hacking music together, remixing music, right? You find the same element of remixing and a lot of content marketing to ta- uh, today's skyscraper technique. That's basically a remix. So, um, there's something that they kind of carried over. Maybe it's also the times. I don't know. Like, there's some interesting factor. You mentioned the the skyscraper technique. Do you think that is um, relevant in 2021? And uh, if not, if so, why? And if not, what other SEO strategies are you seeing that are maybe replacing that? Does that still work? Probably yes. Um, and I, I want to take out the probably. It does still work today. Um, is it a competitive advantage for a company definitely not right i i went on a little bit of this like rant uh, a couple of months ago about what i call commodity content and it's basically just the idea that everybody can create content these days and that means that some content is just very easy to replicate right recipes is an example but also skyscraper stuff right if you just if you look at a say like a, a statistics article about something and you just go and you just add like you know, you see that all oh, all the top ranking articles they display thirty statistics, and you just add forty statistics, right? Like that's a that might work for a while, but then somebody else just comes up and one ups you, and they just add fifty statistics, right? And just this is kind of like this downward spiral, um, and uh, there's there's no kind of real end inside. And sure, you can play that game, and if you can you can solve that problem with uh, just more people or more money, like you can, as a, as a big company, sure, you can, you can compete in that and maybe win that race, but it's not what I would uh, see as a, a content strategy that becomes a mode, right? Like there's some comp- content out there just that, that can only be created by maybe one company or three. And that's much more interesting in my mind. 
uh, how can you think about stuff that nobody else can replicate because nobody has, for example, access to the data? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a much more defendable one and also a much more successful strategy. And then on top of that, in the last five years, we saw this um, rise of, of trust as a factor. And I mean that in, in two different ways. One of them, of course, is this idea of like EAT, trustworthiness. Like that's that's one side, but it's more of the result of something else, which is that, uh, you know, 2016, we saw the, um, the rise of fake news and this whole conversation, right? And like, what even is like this truthiness idea, right? And like, we see that, today very in a very extreme sense with um with with the conversations about vaccinations and so on so this is something that's only getting stronger right and it's it's a result of what we talked about earlier that anybody can create content on the internet anybody can add their opinion and it's very easy for people who have extreme opinions to find like-minded people because the internet is a very is very connecting so all of that mixed together right you see the the rise of uh, the rise of blockchain and cryptocurrencies like is, is another kind of uh trend that fits into this meta trend and so there's a long way to say that people want to trust expert or seek expert opinions let's put it this way uh authorities and and, and brands who are trustworthy uh and so I think I think the, the skyscraper method is almost the on the other end of the spectrum is almost the antithesis to that, uh, and so I think about like what is the content that we as a company, for example, have to create? What is the company that we can? Uh, what is the content that we can create? And what is the the content that we should create? And and the can create that's where maybe there's some topics or or content pieces that only we can create, and that is much more defendable than all the other kind of stuff. So best strategies probably have a mix of all of those but um i would i would urge every company to think about like what is the stuff that only they can bring up as as the experts mm. you you mentioned trust and i want to touch on that because I, I think it's a powerful but kind of nebulous concept um so what are like hard to fake trust signals in the seo and content space because you mentioned eat and i know that there's this basically just copy and paste thing you can do, which is like have a doctor's name that says reviewed <laughs> by doctor, whatever. Right. But that's easy to fake. Um, even I, I think backlinks over time uh, are somewhat hard to fake, but um, you know, you could argue that uh, here or there, you could get a link building agency or something like that. But how do you think about um, differentiated content stuff only you can do and how that factors into building trust um, in content and SEO? Yeah, totally. Uh, backlinks, definitely some top of mind. Uh, I do think that, first of all, they still work like a charm, right? No, that's that's mm -hmm. my my experience. Um, and uh, I do think that Google measures what they call EAT a lot of times through backlinks. Uh, but that that aside, there's a there's a lot of meta factors that are being factored in the content when it comes to trust. So part of that is just how robust your arguments are. Um, and the other part of that is how robust your evidence is. Um, Google has started measuring what they call EAT specifically for YMYL sites or money or your life, which are typical, uh, typically verticals like uh, medical, insurance, um, um, mortgages, these kind of like highly sensitive topics uh, where the stakes are high. And um, in a lot of cases, relatively straightforward to like, to, to, to factor basic things into account to measure how uh, strong the evidence is, right? Especially in the medical field, if you have a long list of medical research, like that is one thing, but it is relatively straightforward to measure even if the, 
the links point at something that's relevant to the topic you're writing about, right? So mm. it, it could be quick to just link to some studies that maybe have the same, you know, keyword in the in the, in the title, but uh, Google is able to understand that at a, at a much, much deeper level. Uh, we, can, we can talk about how. So the robustness of your argument, the robustness of your underlying um, evidence to, to make the arguments, right? And, like Wikipedia is a really good example of that. A lot of people miss it, but just look at like the footer of Wikipedia and how many uh, references they point at and how, how high their bar is for references, right? Like all the content is kind of um, peer reviewed. So that, that's really the way to think about it. Uh, and then third is just how high the quality of your recommendations is. Uh, you see that in the medical space, the clearest in my mind, when you look at something like uh, any, any basic disease. Um, and when you look at the symptoms that the sites are ranking for those diseases at the top uh, list, uh, the remedies and so on. Um, there's a lot of super fine nuance that Google is able to understand that then in return increases the trust, right? So as a medical site can link to all the studies um, that that might be relevant for a certain topic. But if they give the wrong recommendation, then that is something that's being factored in. And of course, you know, diminishes the trust of, of users. So um, it's there's a lot of kind of detail in the content itself. Uh, and then lastly, there is there seems to be some sort of a user engagement that Google is also able to factor in. And I don't want to, you know, like assume what it is. Could it be clicks? Could it be the time people spend, the searches that they do, the search volume of the brand? Like it's probably a mix of all of these things. There's something interesting about uh, one concept you mentioned, which is the robustness of evidence. So part of what you said was um, maybe it's not just like who's linking to you, but who you're linking to and how authoritative authoritative and trustworthy they are. But you also mentioned in um, a previous question around um, differentiating content, like what's the content, what's the content type of content that only I can produce? What, what's going to be a moat? What's hard to do? And I immediately thought of uh, sort of original research pieces, right? Like BuzzSumo saying like, we analyzed 10 million headlines and here's the articles that got the most shares or something like that. Do you see those as sort of one and the same? Like, can you build robustness of evidence by using your own original data? Is that something that you, you think kind of serves the same purpose of building trust? Yes. If the if the methodology methodology is convincing. And I'm not sure if Google can measure that mm. kind of level of detail, but a user probably will, right? So if you as a, like I worked at search metrics uh, for uh, like many years ago, uh, and we put out these regular ranking factor studies. And so um, I think there's, an, there's a point at which users will trust you more if your methodology is safe and sound, right? If you say we analyze five keywords and we're pretty sure those are ranking factors, uh, probably not as trustworthy. But if you say we looked at a corpus of blah, 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 many millions and so on, uh, that is a different, that is a different game. So methodology plays a role. Um, the, the, your interpretation also plays a role, right? If you, if you, if you're, uh, you need to be able to interpret the data. So it, it quickly gets into like all these fine soft factors and meta factors uh, but at the end of the day, it's uh, a proprietary data, I think is a super powerful vehicle to also like display your expertise in a field, right? If you have mm -hmm. access to millions or billions of, of keywords, you hire a statistician to analyze them, you're getting it peer reviewed to get some maybe like peer reviews from other uh, uh, known people in the space, right? Like you really go all in. 
that's what I would consider robustness as well. And that certainly will increase the trust uh, with your audience. Yeah, I would I would almost frame it as like ranking for that piece is a secondary thing, whereas the primary thing would be building expertise. And, well, and maybe also link building. Because it's like if Shopify puts out a study on like, hey, we analyze like all of our customer data, and here's the factors that lead to higher add to cart rate. <laughs> I don't know what the study would be, right? But if you've got some proprietary information on like how e-commerce re- like retailers can be more successful online. One, people are going to go to that and they're going to trust that. And that's going to be a valuable piece of content for them. So there's that expertise factor. But two, I would expect that um, e-consultancy and, and you know all the other websites that are talking about retail are going to link to that as well, because it's just simply a, an interesting statistic, an interesting citation that they can use for their, their articles as well. 100%. And then the, 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 the one-two punch here is to then use it as a pillar and build more keyword targeted content around that as a cluster, right? So when you have this retail study, right, then writing content about like, what is retail? How to do blah, 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 like all these kind of things. And then referencing that study and linking from the study back to those pieces, mm-hmm. that then makes a lot more sense, right? So to bring it back uh, to like like uh, trustworthiness and 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 a, an SEO driven content strategy, right? You can use that as the, the, uh, the stem for your branches, right? And the branches are then a bit more uh, topic or keyword focused, but having that own study, that own proprietary, uh, proprietary data in my mind will make you much more likely to then rank for these other keywords. Right? So you can, you can play that in a smart way. Is, is that the concept of like link juice, right? Like if uh, you, you build a piece of like link bait content, link very highly or in the URL structure, right? Like maybe it's a subfolder on like a big piece of content that's like a product page and uh, just simply creating that piece of content that's going to build more links. And if you link to that product page, like hopefully some of that link juice passes to the product page. Yeah, absolutely. And so in my, like what, what a lot of people miss in my mind is that the stronger your pillar the stronger all the clusters will be as well. So it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense for me to invest a lot of time and effort up front, maybe even a lot of money to have the most robust pillar ever because my clusters will benefit from it. And that's then what I would consider a, a kind of a mode or a competitive strategy because it's going to be so hard for anybody else to replicate the pillar uh, while everybody actually just focuses on the clusters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so we're going to have to do a full podcast on like crazy <laughs> technical good. kind of SEO stuff later. But I do, I want to shift up uh, because I know we wanted to talk about leadership and team structure and all that stuff. Um, so you wrote a, a blog post that I read called uh, How to Lead Others Helped uh, Me to Lead Myself, right? About leadership lessons that helped kind of make you a better person. So since uh, coming to some of these leadership roles, G2 and Shopify now, what are some of the leadership principles that you've established um, through these managerial roles? And like, how do, you, how do you approach managing and leading an SEO team? Yeah, it's a good point, you know, and I want to preface that by saying that a huge thing that I learned from you the last couple of years is that growth can also happen on the meta level on the like within leadership right so we think about growth we actually think about the methodology of growing a company bringing more customers retention monetization all that kind of stuff right that's that's what i would call the discipline of growth what i have learned that was new to me a couple of years ago is that you can apply those same principles to your organization or company and in fact your output will have such a higher quality if 
your team is in good shape and you have high quality input. It's such a simple concept in theory, but it's it's such a revelation to understand how the machine kind of produces another machine, if that makes sense. I can elaborate mm-hmm. on what exactly I mean here, but in the essence, the, the, the level of leadership is so important for even just the, the hard results that you achieve as a company or as a team. And so uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned principles, and that is also the title of one of my absolutely most f- like favorite books ever, um, which was written by Ray Dalio. Um, absolutely mind-blowing. And um, I, I read that, I don't know, four or five years, first time. And I started to actually establish my own principles. So I have a document where I have my own work principles. And those are lessons, hard-learned hard lessons that basically I want to um, not learn another time, right? Like basically that I want to internalize. And so uh, I have a couple of documents that help me do this. Uh, I have a, a cheat sheet, which is just like a, a list of like 25 principles that I want to remind myself to every day or basically constantly. I always have that open on the side. So whatever I do when I work, or when I talk, I always remind myself of these like 25 things that I want to keep in mind. And it can be something uh, super um, snappy and short, like... Uh, let's see what I got here. Um, delegate well with clear agreements. Are, are those uh, pro- simply, are those reminders for yourself or do you share those with the team or what's the the purpose of those? Those are reminders for myself. And those are just things that I want to pay more attention to that I, um, that those that are either a weakness or something that I learned in a hard way or, or hard won lessons that are like really distilled into a, a very snappy sentence, right? Like mm-hmm. set the bar high, send pre-reads, keep it simple, lean into problems. Like it's, it's this like very like, like uh, kind of short reminders. But for me, I know like it's, I know exactly where I need to take this, whatever I do. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with Naval Ravikant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think he started his Twitter uh, or tweeting basically to do that same thing where he's like, I, I don't want to learn these lessons over and over again. So we would kind of like create these pithy tweets for lessons that he wanted to remember these very, very truncated pills that would, uh, you know, basically allow him to remember those things for from then on. We, we, tr- we try to do the same with our agency, but we, we're trying to share them with the team as well. Yeah. Uh, I would say they've mostly functioned as reminders for us, the co-founders. But uh, one of my favorites is we, we mentioned this all the time we say this should be fun you know like we're sitting around like fucking hating our lives for weeks on end and, and doing work that we hate doing we should you know take a take a step back and think like what are we, what are we doing like this should be fun this is we're, we're choosing to do this you know totally. and it's really cool how those things do kind of like rise to the uh, the salience of your mind and, and kind of remind you to take a step back and you know uh, live by those principles it is absolutely crucial it is absolutely crucial. Like if you want to be successful and you haven't worked on your principles, man, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, and there's a good reason for that. Um, so to, to build the, the bridge back, I earlier said that, you know, what I really learned is that the machine builds the machine. And so when we think about growth, the basic idea is to have high impact and use feedback signals to quickly iterate, right? So you need a signal. You need to, you need to like do something and see, does it work or not? And if it works, okay, how can we take it further? And how can we take it further? How can we take it further? The idea of principles is the exact same thing, right? The idea of principles is, okay, um, I have some strengths and weaknesses. In the past, I learned some hard lessons by failing, basically by burning my fingers. And 
by writing these principles, the principles are basically what you learn from hard lessons, right? Uh, so that you don't fall into that same problem again. And that is the hard lessons are the feedback loop to the machine, right? So, so you can establish those principles for yourself to become a better leader, better SEO, whatever. You also establish those principles for your team. So I love that you're doing that. We're doing that as well uh, at Shopify and have different principles sometimes for, for different teams. Um, and they have to be custom, right? It's like those principles shouldn't be something like love the customer or something. It has to be, you know, it has to be a hard one lesson. That is kind of the, the key point about principles. And if you can establish those principles for yourself, for your team, for your company, and you can really embrace them, that's when kind of the machine that builds the machine gets better, right? That's kind of the trickle down effect that I was talking about earlier. Uh, the hard kind of revelation that I learned that, hey, if I make myself better, if I make my team better, then all of our output will become better. Our SEO strategies, our ideas, and I'm doing, I stepped into like a larger role a couple of months ago. So we're also thinking about email, we're thinking about other things and products. So, uh, but it all starts at the core, right? It all starts with yourself, how you manage yourself, how you manage your team, and that then trickles down into better ideas. How do you not only instill those principles into your team, but um, have have the team embody those? Because I, I I think like every company's got like a list of principles that they may print out on the wall. Then I think that you know people can parrot them, but sometimes don't actually like really believe them or, or live by them. So how do you really get them to embody those values? And kind of related, it sounds like um, one. If I could sum sum up this attitude towards like growth on teams, it's kind of, it's kind of a growth mindset of sorts, right? But with the more more formalized like feedback mechanisms. So, how do you instill a, a growth mindset into individuals on the team, and not just kind of like um, on, on your level, um, but each, each person kind of having that ethos? Growth mindset, exactly the right word. The way to instill those principles and have people really buy into them is to let the people come up with them, right? So if you just dictate them tops down, it's not going to be as effective as sitting down with the team and saying, hey, like, what did we learn over the last year, two years, five years, whatever? How can we distill that into principles? And maybe principles change over time. Uh, they don't have to be static forever. They have to be helpful in the moment. Oh, sorry, my, my camera's going to uh, re reconnect in a second. Uh, they have to be. They have to be helpful and make sense. So First thing is like, let the team come up with the principles. Um, number two, connect them to an actual real life scenario, right? Like, that's why I'm saying like, if you say, just love the customer, like, what's that going to mean? But if you can connect it to an actual situation where loving the customer was really important and led to a desired outcome, then it clicks, then it makes a lot more sense. So can you connect that to something uh, that makes sense? And then third, you know, revise those principles over time. I'm doing the same thing with my, with my cheat sheet, you know, every year, I look at it and, and ask myself, does that still make sense? Is that still accurate? Is it still helpful? Uh, so those are three ways to, to keep the people, keep everybody um, engaged with those principles. Awesome. Um, so we're, we're basically at time. 30 minutes is way too short of a conversation. So we're definitely going to have to do a longer version where we really geek out on the SEO and content stuff. Yep. But um, while we're here, do you have any, are you, do you want to promote anything? Uh, send oh, people to your website or like, what do you want to tell people to, um, to do as an action item here? Yeah, appreciate it. Um, website would be great. Dub, 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 Kevin Indic.com. And then, yeah, Twitter, same name. Uh, that's pretty much it. But yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Alex. It was a pleasure. I wanted to, uh, to, to do this for a while. And yeah, let's, let's book something longer. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this was super fun. We'll definitely book something for the future. Thanks, Kevin. Likewise. Take care. 